Hello and welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we're speaking with successful leaders to uncover tips to help you break down the barriers that are keeping you or your business stuck. Joining me today from Chattanooga is Dan Gilmore. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be here. I am delighted that you're with us. Actually, I should probably say welcome back because Dan has the distinction of being our only repeat guest on our webinar series, and you'll soon see why. Dan's been practicing labor and employment law since entering private practice in 1990. He's the founder and attorney at law of Square Strategies. And I've asked Dan to share his experience of being stuck professionally and what did he do to get unstuck? Dan, welcome. If you don't mind, I'd like to go back and, and pick up uh, in your college days. I understand you graduated from Baylor University, is that right? That is correct. A second Bears, both undergraduate and law school. And in between those two experiences is when I met my wife in Washington, D.C., which put me on a different course in life, which I've never turned back. You mentioned you went straight into law school. What led you to go to law school? A big influence was my father, who was an attorney, is an attorney, is no longer practicing in Dallas, but I grew up around him, around his partners, his associates. He was on the city council in Dallas. I spent a lot of time around city government, and he was a great influence in my decision to, to pursue law. And my practice is very different than his was, but that is, I think, a direct result of of seeing him as an attorney growing up. What type of practice did he have? His was primarily, it was city law, municipal law, school law, probate law, uh, family law, did a lot of adoptions. And that was one aspect of his practice I've told him over the years I'm very jealous about because he has people that come up to him years and years, decades later saying, you were the one who did my adoption and thank you so much. So, Nothing, he's never had practice uh, employment law or even traditional labor law, but did a lot of different areas other than that. You went to law school, you aspire to be an attorney. What led you to go into the kind of work that you end up going in labor and employment law? I should add that right after law school, actually during law school, I was in the Marine Corps, been commissioned in the Marine Corps in 1983. So my first years of practice were as a judge advocate, both as a defense attorney, eventually prosecutor. My wife's family had retired to Chattanooga. I'm a Texan. As I, I didn't mention that, but having gone to Baylor, I should have I'm a Texan by birth, and my wife's a Tennessean. I looked both in Texas and here when we left the Marine Corps and had an opportunity here with a law firm that was a great fit. And about a year into that experience, going from the litigation department, which is what I've been doing almost entirely in the Marine Corps at that point, there was an opportunity in the labor and employment department, which is very small at that time in that firm. And I made the move in 1991 into that department and have been practicing that area of law now for almost 30 years. Now that was a relatively large practice, is that correct? The firm itself was, the that practice group was, oh, at that time maybe eight attorneys. 
Uh, it grew at one point in that firm to close to 40, and I'm not sure what it is now, but it was a relatively small group at that time. So as a recently minted lawyer, was this a good opportunity to be part of a larger firm, but a smaller group that specializes in labor employment law? That affords you opportunities you might not have gotten if yet a bigger firm? I think so. And at that point, that firm had originally one office in one city. It grew into three by the time I moved to California, we'll be talking about here uh, shortly. But it was a, it was a good group of attorneys, a very people I got along with, very professional in an area of the law that I had not had experience in at that point, but just had an opportunity to move into it and really have enjoyed over the years the kind of work that involves, which you know very much about being having your career in the HR world. That has been throughout my career, the primary connections in with my clients are those in the HR role in particular. We share that. So if I understand correctly, you were practicing and an opportunity came for you to, you've gone from Texas to Tennessee and now comes California. Tell us a little more about that, please. I've been here in Chattanooga for about six years and it really I just made partner after six years, but at kind of a plateau and I didn't really see the opportunities beyond that point in my career. I'm not from Chattanooga, as I mentioned, and uh, Chattanooga, like a lot of places, is very much a city of where you went to school, meaning high school in a lot of cases. And I was searching for some opportunity to expand what I was doing, not leave the practice of the firm, but an opportunity to bust out of that stalemate uh, as I felt like I was in a, in a, a rut or kind of a holding pattern in my career. And so after the firm had asked maybe two other attorneys, they came to me and said, would you be willing to move to California, to live in California? And if you can pass the bar exam in California, we'll move your family out. So first year by yourself, if you can pass the bar exam, which for those who are familiar with the bar exams, California is notorious, along with New York and some others as being difficult at that point, I had I'd taken a pass the Texas and Tennessee bars, and I was not necessarily eager to roll the, the dice again, but it was an opportunity to live in a part of the country I'd never lived before, to practice in an area. Being in HR, California is notorious for its employment law environment, the, the litigious nature of it. The laws themselves are very unique, very progressive. And so it was an opportunity to practice in that part of the country and throughout the West, but at, at a risk of if I got out there and failed, the firm was counting on me. It was the, the firm's largest client that wanted somebody out there. And so I had to overcome a lot of fear to do that. And that's something I've, I've spoken about over the years in different contexts, but this is in my life, a uh, very prime example of number one, being mindful of opportunities, being open to opportunities, but not being paralyzed by fear and overcoming that fear, uh, which is not easy. It was not easy then. I should add that fortunately I uh, passed the bar the first time through and uh, 
the family moved out the next year. But that first year there was challenging, being by myself. I cut back and forth to visit the family. But it was uh, kind of a Hail Mary for me at that point that if it worked, great. But there was a lot of risk professionally that if I did succeed, then I would have put myself even farther behind. At least that was my concern. So, Dan, let's unpack some of that a little bit. What I understand you to say is you were approached, but you said that at the time that you were approached, you used the word you felt like you were a little bit in a rut. Did you feel like you were somewhat stuck? Yeah, and that's when you mentioned the theme of this podcast, that, that situation immediately came to mind. I was stuck. As I mentioned, I was very proud of the fact that I just made partner, but the opportunities in Chattanooga for me within that firm were not clear, not being from here. So I was looking for how can I break out of that and, and create a, a professional life myself. And as it turned out in the process, a very rich personal life for my family. The, the time in California, we ended up being out there for 10 years was, was instrumental in all of our lives. And, uh, but that was not a foregone conclusion when I got on that plane in August 1996 and headed out there with my suitcase to, to give it a shot. You said yes, but it came at some risk. You had just been made partner. Yes, you had passed the bar for Tennessee and Texas, but you had a pretty long bit of work that you had to do to prepare for and pass the California bar. But you must have felt when you said yes, there were a lot of eyes. They say the eyes of Texas, but a lot of the eyes of the firm were on you in this move. Is that a fair statement? No, very much so, because this client, as I said, was the largest client of the firm, had grown weary of having attorneys travel from California, from Chattanooga to California. All the all of the services we were providing were from Chattanooga. So there was travel time of all. This is 96 where communications weren't where they are now. And so Cell phones, mobile phones were just becoming a, a, a part of our lives. So access was something that so they said, either you send someone out here, my firm sends someone out here to live out here, practice out here on the West Coast, or we're going to use local counsel. And that was always our worst fear throughout my time, with, especially that, with that client, serving that client, is that we would uh, uh, lose the work to local attorneys who are there, living there, practicing there, or been there forever. Uh, so that was a big uh, concern of ours, and my going out there was the firm's effort to try to head that off. You know, you described some of the head process that you went through, the thinking process, the decisions to do that, you weigh in the pros and cons, but you said there's, a, there's an emotional aspect of this, and that is the fear of saying yes and what that entail. Can you share, what were the kinds of fears that you were experiencing then? The fear was that the what ifs. What if I got out there and did not, could not pass? And I just, that wasn't a certainty that I could. I, I haven't, at, at that point, I had taken the Tennessee bar in 1990. So it'd been, it would have been seven years by the time I took it in February of, of 97. And so a lot of that I've been away from. The, any lawyer will tell you that what you study for on the bar exam, not much of it has to do with practicing law. And so a lot of it I hadn't really 
uh, spent much time uh, uh, focusing on or spending uh, part of my practice was not on a lot of those issues. And so that was not something that I, was a, was a given. And so in my mind, I kept saying, what if I get out there, I don't get the results I want. And then what happens? I come back with my tail between my legs uh, or beg for chances, another chance. So it, there was not, I didn't see it as having more than one chance to do it. So you did feel like your back was against the wall. You knew you were going to be out there solo without family for a year, getting established, preparing for the bar. At what point after you passed the bar and your family got out there, at what point did you begin to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief? That fall of 98, we bought a house in Pasadena. I've been out there for about a year and a half. Uh, the kids were into their schools there. We felt good about the school situation. I was in a good flow with the client out there. And as I've shared with you before, and your listeners, that is those early days in particular were the origin of the, the name of my practice, which uh, Squire Strategies. I think you may have said Square. Squire Strategies came from that experience in those early years. So it was probably within a year and a half that I felt like, okay this is going to work for how long nobody told me going out this is going to be for five years ten years that was something that was very much open-ended and which is fast forward ten years of when the decision was made to, to come back to Tennessee which is a whole different set of decision making at that time with schools and the work and stuff but at that time to answer your question about a year and a half so if I said square, I can assure you I was thinking squire. So when I say squire with maybe a little bit of a Southern accent, it came out square, but my apologies. It is uh, squire. Being, being a Southerner myself, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. I want to come back to squire strategies in just a moment. Sure, but sure. You're in California. You spent about 10 years out there. You said that the decision that led to you throwing your name in the hat was a feeling of, I might have topped out in this office because I don't have the same connections as some of my colleagues do. You ventured out, you became, I don't know what the right term you use, you know, in the military, they talk about having an embedded group, but you came an attorney within the company, almost as if you are an integral part of the company. That's exactly right. I learned the term out there, Mike, I'd not known before of captive counsel. Okay. I was a captive counsel. I, my only client there was that client. I worked in their administrative offices. I worked alongside all their executives. My assistant was an employee of that company. And so I was, by all appearances, an employee of that company. People who didn't know the arrangement, uh, I, I carried a ba- an ID badge with me in my offices there. They Most people thought I was an employee of that company, but I was an throughout that time, essentially on loan from my firm. So you made that move, you were there for 10 years, and I know that at some point you opened Squire Strategies. And in the interest of time, we may not have a chance to do all of that, but what took you over time between being a captive counsel in California to opening Squire Strategies. What is it that triggered that? That was a, a couple of different significant 
decisions that led to that first was to come back from California. We, there was never a time they said, you've got to come back. So it became apparent to me, we needed to take the initiative. The girls, I've got three daughters and one was in college, two were in between middle school and high school. And it's at that stage. So I said, here's a window of time. I've got to do it now. I just did it. Went back to Nashville for three years. Then I was recruited by a different firm, a firm back here in Chattanooga. So I came here for about four years. And after four years in that firm, I be began to become more and more involved in the entrepreneurial community here, startup community. And that mindset was something that I'd not had a lot of interaction with. The, the client I'd worked with all that time in California has been around for a hundred plus years. So that was not a startup world. So in that process, became more and more interested in doing something on my own, which is a whole different, you know, a leap of faith. And I, at that point, there wasn't assurance that any of the clients that I worked with at that firm would follow me or if I, I, I wanted to be professional about it and not, I want to leave under good terms. And so some did follow me, but for the most part, it was up to me to uh, develop that business and I just thought that the, the lure and the um, appeal of being my own boss, having my direct connection with clients without having inter, 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 any intermediary relationships to deal with was very appealing. And that's what I enjoy most about what I do now. My relationships with my clients are direct, directly with them. And if I do well, they know it. If I don't, it's nobody's fault but my own. And fortunately, that's not happened. But it was, I think, a direct result of being more and more involved in that part of the community here in Chattanooga that opened my eyes to that possibility when the time came to make a change. You mentioned that the move to California was a bit of a leap of faith. And you mentioned the opening of Squire Strategies as a leap of faith. Do you think those two leaps feed into your desire to work with entrepreneurial-minded folks? I think very much, and especially my creation, my own practice, I feel like gives me credibility to that part of the community, that I'm not just saying, here, go for it, and you can do it, but I've done it myself. And my experience in California, it's been very helpful for those larger clients that know that I've essentially been in-house counsel during that period of time. But to the entrepreneurial community, the fact that I've done this on my own, that I've ventured out and taken that leap, and it's a scary leap. I just, for many years, Mike, I could not imagine doing this on my own. I just thought, how could I ever do that? It was just a thought that just come and just kind of terrify me and I'd move on to something else. But it's, but when that time came, and I have one person in mind who shoved me over that, that fence into the, the decision. And two things he told me, and it's, it's, they stuck with me forever, is number one, this is what you are leaning to do. I would encourage you to do it. Number two, and this applies to anybody in business, and what you and I do, what any of your listeners do, is make sure people know what you do. And that is, I remind myself that all the time. I'm a lawyer, obviously. But what do I do? What kind of law do I practice? Who can I help? How can I help them? If those who want to help me are not aware of that and don't know if Dan uh, prepares wills or if I'm a patent attorney, then they can't help me. And that's something that I'm very dependent upon 
my networks, my referral networks, my hopefully mutual relationships, but it's important for those people to know what I do and remind them what I do. So that is something that this opportunity and the opportunities you've invited me to be under webinars previously this year, I really appreciate it. That's, that really helps me help those that, especially those I've not had contact with before, make them aware of what I do and how I do it and my philosophy towards the practice of law. Our listeners might know that my professional background is very heavy HR. And so I had counsel on speed dial. And I've told Dan already this privately, but I can say it now publicly. I wish I knew Dan at the time that I was in corporate HR because he clearly would be on my speed dial. He strikes me as someone who understands the law very well, but more importantly, he's able to explain it to me and my team when I was in corporate HR in a way that we could grasp and act on. And that's a unique quality. You've got another unique quality. Dan, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours, and that is you have a servant heart, and I know that you do tend to give back. One of the things I know you do is your adjunct at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and you mentioned that someone came alongside you and gave you some good guidance. As a mentor, and I know you do that, what do you share with those folks coming to you and say, Mr. Gilmore, tell me what I should know if I want to do the kind of work that you do, what are the kinds of things you share with them? Mike, that's, that brings up a good point of one of the main reasons I teach and I enjoyed teaching as an adjunct is those relationships with the students and helping them not only during the semester, but afterwards. And I've got, even one student this semester, before the semester started, came to me and said, would you talk to me about why you're doing what you're doing hmm. and give me advice? And I love the opportunities to do that. And the messages I, I tell a lot of them, especially if those are looking at law school, is that they're, keep an open mind of, of what you can do with a law degree. My mother's father, I, I told my father when he started law school back in the 50s, you could do anything with a law degree except practice medicine. And hmm. I tell students that. So don't get tunnel vision over that, what you may see on TV. If you're thinking about law school, a lot of things you could do with that or even graduate degrees. A lot of them ask me about graduate school opportunities and what they should think about. And so the themes with those conversations are be open-minded, be mindful of what's out there. Don't limit yourself to what you think you should do or what people tell you should do. Keep an open mind and have faith in yourself and be, have courage and don't let fear prevent you from going for that. My youngest daughter right now, as I think Mike's in law school online, like everybody is these days, um, and been so proud of her, giving her that kind of advice. And my wife has too over the years of just, if that's what you want to do, go for it and just do what you have to do to get there. And uh, that's what I tell my children, have told my children, and I tell my students and anybody outside of just in the business community, I've, I'm often asked just to provide advice to those who look at me as a potential mentor, either officially or not. And, and I, I appreciate that. That's a great compliment, Mike, of being servant, a servant attitude. Sometimes I feel like too much. Uh, I, I can't say no to people. And, uh, but that's, I'd rather be that way than, than a type of person who's, who has no interest in helping others, because I certainly benefit from that 
from other people in this community and beyond the community uh, of those who want to help each other succeed. That's been helpful for me and I want to pass it on to others as well. That comes through loud and clear. The theme of this podcast is we're asking leaders to share examples where perhaps they or organizations they lead got stuck and you're willing to be vulnerable with us, the listener, to share examples where on more than one occasion, you found that you were stuck. That to get unstuck, you had to make bold decisions mm -hmm. that didn't necessarily only affect you, but affected your family. Very much, yeah. And that you acted in such a way that it was a leap of faith on more than one occasion. And there is a tendency for people to think when you own your own business, ah, oh, it's so much easier. <laughs> it does has advantages. I'm a fellow business owner, but there are also disadvantages. And I applaud what you have done and more importantly, your willingness to share what you have learned along the way. As we wrap up Thank our you, time together, Dan, can you think of anything that you would like to share with our listeners that we haven't had a chance to cover? I think just I wanted to reiterate, I made a note to myself before we started, of mindful plus courage. And that those two attributes are something that, that I don't, I've not always lived up to myself. My wife is always saying, widen the lens, widen the lens, look at things broadly. And that's what I feel people should always attempt to do and identify opportunities and don't feel like you don't have any options. That's the things that uh, if you feel stuck, then there's always going to be a way to move on, but you've got to be, you have your eyes wide open to what those opportunities are and to pursue them. Yeah, my life has been a, a number of situations of overcoming fear. I did a program a few years ago here for Startup Week, during Startup Week about fear, and I had well, far too many examples of that, but hopefully most times overcoming it. So that's my uh, w words of wisdom, so to speak, that I'd like to, to pass on to those who listen to what we've done today. Very well said. Dan, if people want to reach out to you and connect with you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way is to reach me. My website is squirestrategies.com. You can reach me through the website. You can reach me through LinkedIn as well. And my email address, if you want to, to email me directly, is dan at squirestrategies.com. We'll try to include those in the show notes as well. Dan, I was looking forward to our time together today. Sure. Thank you again for your willingness to share as openly as you have. So thank you. Thank you very much, Mike. It's my pleasure. And I look forward to... Uh, Meeting you in person one of these days, we talked about it. <laughs> We're going to pull it off before you do it. We've had, you've been on our webinar twice. I've been on our podcast. We've had a number of other conversations. I too am looking forward to <laughs> that. Let's put it on the calendar. Good, Mike. So if I might, as we wrap up, I want to thank our listeners for joining us for this episode of Get Unstuck and On Target. We've lined up great guests like Dan that I'm sure you'll enjoy getting to know. We're uploading the latest episode every Thursday, and we hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and invite other leaders to do the same. The easiest way to subscribe is to go to your browser and type unstuck.show. 
again, unstuck.show, or go to our website, bench-builders.com. So again, to our listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope you've picked up some tips that help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time. Thank you, Dan.